even pre-pandemic, I think there are a lot of things going on. I mean, one is that pressure that I think kids are under. I think we have hit this point where we have never been as busy, never been as scheduled, that kids have just been doing too much. I remember a girl saying to me, I realized I just I have been overcommitted for way too long and it's made me more anxious. And so when all this is over, I'm not going to do all the things I was doing before. This is the CBF Podcast Conversations. Each week, we are bringing you stories from across the world of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and creativity from practitioners, ministers, thinkers, authors, and more. I'm Andy Hale, your podcast host. We're excited about another year of delivering interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. This platform is not designed for you to listen on an island unto yourself. Share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Tucker, Georgia. Warsaw, Poland, San Francisco, California, and Sydney, Australia. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters, including Cynthia Foldendor, Bill Johnson, Ralph Stocks, and that anonymous person that keeps giving a gift in honor of CBF Prime. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our three annual sponsors, the Center for Congregational Health, McAfee's School of Theology Doctorate and Ministry Program, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. And now, on to our conversation. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health, whose mission is to help faith communities and their leaders thrive. Healthy congregations can transform their communities to be more compassionate, faithful, and just. Utilizing a network of highly skilled coaches, consultants, and intentional interim ministers, the Center supports congregations and ministry leaders to address the challenges they face. Visit their website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about how the Center can be your trusted partner in ministry. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Sissy Goff. She is the Director of Child and Adolescent Counseling for Daystar Counseling Ministries. She has authored several books, including Raising Worry-Free Girls. She's also the host of the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. Sissy, thank you for joining the conversation. I'm so delighted to be with you, Andy. So for those that aren't familiar with your work, you know, specifically those that haven't read your books or maybe been the recipients of your counseling, uh, what would you want us to know about you? Mm, that's a good question. So I have been counseling kids for almost 30 years at a really cool place in Nashville, Tennessee called Daystar Counseling Ministries. And it's a little yellow house with a white picket fence and our offices look like living rooms. I get to take my dog to work every day, which is a really great gig just in itself. And I have the pleasure of sitting with kids and families every day. And so writing and speaking and all those podcasting, all that stuff really comes out of my day in, day out work with kids and families and what I'm hearing from them. And most recently have written three books based on anxiety, one for elementary age girls called Braver, Stronger, Smarter, one for parents called Raising Worry-Free Girls. And then I have a book that came out 
February 2nd for adolescents called Brave. So that's what I've been up to here lately in the midst of the pandemic, especially. We'll get to your work at uh, Daystar for just a second, um, but I have to ask you a personal question. In yeah. the uh, in the biographical information sent to me by your publisher, I noted uh, that you love the original Mary Poppins movie. Um, oh. I couldn't help but notice that keyword original. So do you have beef with Emily Blunt and Mary Poppins Returns? <laughs> well, you know, I'm kind of old. I'm 50 at this point. And so I grew up on the original Mary Poppins and just a like really important personal side note. So I have loved her since I was teeny. The first time I went to Disney, Mary Poppins kissed my forehead and I wouldn't wash my face for weeks. So it's really been my favorite movie of all times. And I probably, I don't even remember when the play first came out and debuted. It was in London and I got to go that first year and I sat in the audience and my real name, Andy, is Helen. And I was sitting in the audience. And if you have seen, I think it's called Saving Mr. Banks. If you've seen that, then you know exactly where I'm going. But it, there was a bio about P.L. Travers who wrote Mary Poppins and her name was Helen Goff, which is my name. And Helen Goff is not like Jane Smith. You know, there are not a lot of Helen Goffs in the world. And so I just have felt, Julie Andrews, I just feel kindred with her Mary Poppins character. Emily Blunt's amazing. But, you know, Julie just, she just, even Maria Von Trapp, I just got to go with Julie. Well, I'm glad you cleared that up because, you know, I know that uh, Mrs. Blunt, you know, listens to the podcast on a weekly basis, <laughs> you know, along with her yeah. husband, John Krasinski. Uh yeah small probably small julie too yeah oh absolutely i know she does uh, you know she has her own podcast now but i'm sure she listens to mine for you know yeah. improvement and resourcing and things and by the way 50s <laughs> 50s not old 50s the new 30s oh, so uh, good so yeah. All right. So I it said in the opener feel like that internally, but I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> the pandemic has made us all feel 30 years older than we actually are. Yes. Um, yes. So um, I said in the opener that you're the director of child and adolescent counseling for Daystar Counseling Ministries. Tell us about the organization a little bit more. So Daystar was started in 1985 and Melissa Trevathan, who is still our director, she started it and, and um, she really did it based on the idea that kids impact kids. And so at Daystar, we have individual counseling. We now have, I think, 13 full-time counselors. We have 1,900 families who are coming to Daystar today, like currently. They're not all coming today, but currently they're coming. And it's just very, it's very relational counseling because so many kids, you know, are terrified to go to counseling or so many adolescents are kind of furious about the prospect. And so that's really why our offices look like living rooms and it's why we have dogs and you know there's so many kids who come for the first time and my little dog will sit across from them on the couch and she does this thing where she sits up on her hind legs and she it looks like she's begging but I call it waving and I mean it just disarms kids and so I love it in particular because it feels like walking alongside kids and obviously we have a very clinical background and we're coming from that perspective but I think they feel like it's more relational. And, and I would say a lot of kids would say I'm as much their mentor as I am their counselor. And so that just feels like a gift to get to do that kind of work. What did you know counseling was your calling and, and why specifically children and adolescents? 
Well, when I was in college, I read a book called Inside Out by Larry Crabb. I don't know if you've read any of his stuff and just was blown away with how much I think the book, and it, it really just talked about this side of a fallen world. None of us are ever going to feel complete and we're never really going to feel like we're okay. And I think, um, except in small glimpses and doses and and so that book just rang true for me. And he talked about his own counseling practice and and it first awakened the idea in me because when I was growing up, kids weren't in counseling. Nobody was talking about it. They might've been, but they wouldn't have said it out loud. And so reading that book really inspired me. And then it was, I took psychology 101 and just fell in love with that class. And And I had had a background in young life and had worked at a summer camp in college. And I think always felt so, connected to kids and felt like that gave me so much life that it felt like the perfect marriage of getting to do counseling, but particularly with kids that went, honestly, I think I didn't even know exactly what I wanted to do until I interviewed with Melissa the first time and was in tears the whole interview thinking, I feel like this is what God made me to do. And I didn't even know it was out there. So I feel very grateful to have gotten, I can't even say stumbled upon it because I feel like God just led me kind of step by step into it. I'm sure you've been asked a thousand times in interviews about how this pandemic has affected teenagers, but what I'd like to know is how it has affected you as a professional counselor. How has it changed you and in, in your approach to your work? You know, I think it has, I mean, it has been very wearying as a counselor and if our entire Daystar staff were sitting here with you, they would say the same thing, that that I think not only the times that we were on Zoom for full days because we were stay at home, that is, it is draining to do anything on Zoom, but especially to be trying to read emotionally how someone else is doing and anticipate things they're not even telling you and then pour back into them. And, and eight hours in a row is exhausting. And because of how the impact the pandemic has impacted kids I think we are seeing more depression and more anxiety and we're all seeing more kids with suicidal ideation than I think I've seen in the almost 30 years I've been counseling and so the intensity of the work has ramped up so considerably that I think that part of it has been really exhausting and now we're face-to-face great thankfully but you know even in my time back face to face twice I've gotten calls that some child I met with you know had was diagnosed with it or whatever and so have ended up having to quarantine because of exposures but thankfully we're we're now considered front lines in a lot of places and so we're being able to get vaccinated as a staff but but that part of it has been hard because obviously then we have to shift our work and it's just not as effective when it's not in person I feel like you have a new book out, um, Brave, A Teenage Girl's Guide to Beating Worry and Anxiety. Uh, this is an interactive experience for readers through journaling, reflecting, and drawing to define and identify anxiety. You wrote, anxiety is tricky because it often doesn't look like anxiety. For younger girls, it looks more like manipulation and anger. Walk us through the inspiration for this book. Yeah, so it really came during the pandemic because... I I had been really concerned pre-pandemic about elementary age girls, which is why I wrote the first two books on anxiety. 
because the the average age of start of anxiety had been eight. It was dropping to six. We were looking at one in four kids dealing with anxiety with girls twice as likely. And then once the pandemic got underway, those kids honestly were doing so much better. I was watching these really anxious little girls who had been sitting talking about that anxiety two weeks before, all of a sudden hop on a Zoom call and have a stuffed animal under one arm and, you know, want me to see their room on their Zoom camera. And I think so much of the pressure that kids have been living with was lifted. And they were having this really rich time with families because we were doing such a great job of being so intentional in the beginning of the pandemic. And and then, you know, a month into it, watching adolescents and for teenagers, so much of their lifeline are peers. And so to see adolescents have that removed from their lives was really impacting for them. And so I just, that became the population that I was quickly most worried about. And so it was really once the pandemic started that honestly, I just cranked out this book. I did it in about 10 weeks because I was just so concerned and felt like they needed help and they needed tools because of like we talked about that anxiety started rippling over into depression too. And so I think just being concerned for them was what led me to do it. Are you interested in theological education, but not ready or able to commit to a full Master of Divinity degree? BSK now offers two certificates that focus on general ministry training. The Exploring Ministry Certificates, Levels 1 and 2, will be available beginning this fall, including course options such as Introduction to Pastoral Care, The Black Church in America, and an Invitation to Christian Theology. These certificates provide options for your area of interest. BSK certificates only require students to take three courses, and the certificates count towards the Master of Divinity. If you or someone you know is interested in learning more about these certificates, visit bsk.edu. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. Studies have found that anxiety and depression are up among uh, young adults. Uh, according to the National Institute of Health, nearly one in three of all adolescent ages 13 to 18 will experience anxiety disorders. Help us understand why this is such a common experience among teenagers and young adults today. Well, I mean, I think there's so many things going into it. The pandemic has obviously played a role in it. And I think exactly what we're talking about, but even pre-pandemic, I think there are a lot of things going on. I mean, one is that pressure that I think kids are under. I think we have hit this point where we have outside of the pandemic, never been as busy, never been as scheduled that kids have just been doing way too much. And that was a cool thing in the beginning that did come through with adolescents. I remember a girl saying to me, I realized I just 
I have been overcommitted for way too long and it's made me more anxious. And so when all this is over, I'm not going to do all the things I was doing before. And so even to have that self-realization was wonderful, but I think that's part of it. I think kids are learning to express their emotions and I think we're doing a better job understanding them, but often we're not giving them practical skills to work through it. And so they're getting stuck a lot. And I think sometimes parents very unintentionally are overcompensating. And so with anxiety, what research says are the two biggest mistakes are escape and avoidance in terms of what parents do to help kids because they get anxious about a situation and we pull them out because we love them and we want to stop them from feeling that way. But in all the research for these books, the definition I came up with for anxiety is anxiety is an overestimation of the problem and an underestimation of themselves. And so when we pull a child out of a situation, we're basically saying, yep, the problem is bigger than you are. You can't do this rather than giving them tools to work through it gradually. And that's ultimately, you know, everybody who works with anxiety would say to get over anxiety kids or any of us just have to do the scary thing. And then, you know, we could talk about technology and social media because obviously they play a role in it as well. So there are just a whole lot of different factors coming together to contribute to it. In the book, you wrote that girls are twice as likely to struggle with worry and anxiety as boys. Why is that? Well, I think what's confusing is anxiety on a girl often looks like success. So the girls who are anxious are really bright, really conscientious. They try hard. They care deeply. They're going to be leaders in their own little communities, their own little world. And so, so really the traits that make them anxious, it's kind of the flip side of those positive traits. We end up reinforcing and we don't realize sometimes that it's too much because that success becomes part of their identity. And so I think I have never seen girls put as much pressure on themselves, not even just out externally, but internally, put as much pressure on themselves as I'm seeing today. And I think that's a huge part of it for girls. You've been in this line of work for, for 25 years. And while the human pubescent process has not changed in hundreds of thousands of years, culture has, okay. you know, so yes. what, what have been the major changes you've seen in teenagers over, over these years that makes you, um, your, makes your work more challenging and helping identify where this, the source of anxiety is coming from? Well, I think technology has changed everything for them. And that has been the probably single biggest contributing force I think that's changed life and their perspective in a lot of ways and and that leads to what I would say before the pandemic the thing that I felt like teenagers and younger kids were lacking the most was a sense of resilience I just don't feel like they had a lot of grit I felt like they were really stuck and sometimes didn't care that they were kind of happy to be stuck or felt incapable of of working themselves out of it but Honestly, I mean, I think the hopeful news in that to me is that I believe, you know, obviously I believe suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character hope. And I think, you know, before the pandemic, kids were more anxious and depressed than they had been during the Great Depression or World War II. And they hadn't even been through something as difficult as we have now. And so I really think the great news is that this generation of kids we're going to look at in 10 years and they're gonna be more resilient than kids have been in the last 10 years. 
So I think there's going to be a whole lot of good coming out of it, but I think that's where they've been leading into it. And this might be amplified, you know, from the pandemic and the fact that so many kids are at home and spending more time with their family than they have before, but how much anxiety producing teenagers actually comes from their surroundings, such as their parents or, or even a person of faith, the church? Mm. A, a lot of it. I mean, if parents are anxious, kids are seven times more likely to have anxiety themselves. Some of that is genetic. So it's not that parents are doing anything to contribute. I mean, there are parents who are doing a great job of trying to navigate it with their kids and they're still anxious. I would say oldest children, oldest girls are almost always anxious in our day and time. Um, and then, you know, I think in terms of the church, I do think we, again, before the pandemic, I think we were even kind of furthering, I feel like Christians, we were the ones who were wearing the best day ever t-shirts and on social media saying, living my best life and all that stuff. And it felt to me like there was this divide between our emotional develop or kids' emotional development and their spiritual development. And I think they had lost the concept of living in a fallen world. And I'll never forget being at our little summer program and Melissa teaching seventh and eighth graders and looking at them and saying, I don't know who told you all life wasn't going to be hard because it is. And I think kids felt like something's wrong with me when I hit this place where life is hard. And I think we had stopped talking about it as a church. We were kind of living in this prosperity gospel, but not just that you're going to be wealthy if you are obedient, but it was more like your life's going to look great and social media worthy. And, you know, now I think we're coming back to the truths of John 16, 33 of in this world, you're going to have trouble. But then Jesus messaged us with take heart, I've overcome the world. One of the things I loved about your book is that you help readers name what they might be feeling. Um, I feel like we're not taught as humans to broaden our vocabulary of varying degrees of emotions that we might experience. Um, we try to practice this with our girls by asking them to describe how they're feeling. So how might That's parents awesome. give you know, how my parents give words behind what their kids are feeling? How do we resource our parents in such a way where they can help their children understand what they're experiencing? Well, I would probably recommend another book that's Are My Kids on Track that I think there's a whole chapter developed to devoted to emotional development in kids. But I mean, I think a really simple tool is a feelings chart. I wish every family had a feelings chart hanging up on their fridge that they would pull out and pass around the dinner table and have everybody, I mean, you don't have to do it every night, but several nights a week, have everybody pick three feelings that you're feeling. Because one of the things that we see happen too is that kids who are anxious, I mean, it is amazing how often I'll sit with girls who are anxious that as we go back through their day, there's been some other trigger and it's been something like they got their feelings hurt or they felt disappointed in themselves or they felt angry and they didn't know how to talk about it. So I'm a huge fan of feeling charts. We have some on raisingboysandgirls.com, our website that that folks can download. But I think one of that's one of the best tools we can find. Um, I want to get to a section of the book where you begin to address your readers about gender roles and stereotypes. Uh, you wrote, boys have a lot of eager anticipation about becoming men. It sounds cool to them. Being a man sounds strong and brave like there should be this fierce booming background music but for <laughs> some of us when we think about becoming women we don't know exactly how to feel about it maybe it sounds good but also sounds like a little uncomfortable what does it mean to get to do 
uh, we get to do become moms for one thing, which sounds really great. But what if you're not a mom someday? Take us a little deeper here. Well, that just comes from experience of watching kids. And it is, we have this little version of a summer retreat program. We have man school and the boys are, think they're so cool to get to talk about becoming men. And, you know, they do muscles and they learn to tie ties and they shake hands. There are all these things they learn to do, but I think just the concept of it. But if we were to have woman school, none of the girls would want to come. It just has such a different sound to it. And and so as a result, I have had conversations like that with girls. And when you say, what are you excited about, about becoming women? So often they don't know. And one of my favorite verses is Psalm 144, 12, that says, may our sons and their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of the palace. And when I think about corner pillars, I think they're so strong. And to help girls understand that being a woman means that you can be strong. I think in the book, I talked about being fierce and lovely, you know, that, that they can be both at the same time. And there are all these gifts that God has baked into what it looks like to be a woman. And I feel, I feel like it's really important to inspire girls and help them understand that in the way that we talk about women and the way that we treat uh, as women, we treat other females as men treat females. I think all of that, we want to help them feel inspired by what it means to be a woman and not just a mom because statistically they might not get to be there. And so we want them to feel like they're no less of a woman because of that. You're a person of faith and certainly, you know, your, your counseling uh, services um, can help people center around their faith. You know, so I wonder if you might speak into, you know, what role the church plays in the amplification of of gender stereotypes on, on children and teenagers that might amplify some of uh, this anxiety that, that they might experience or, or depression or uh, any number of struggles? That is a really good question. And, you know, I, I don't know that I can generalize it very well because I think, I, I think even thinking about the church, I feel like our responses are so different in terms of what your specific church looks like in the the, the way that we portray genders. Um, so I, I think that part of it, there's a lot of variation in it, but I don't think we speak to, I don't, I don't think we sometimes do the exact thing I'm talking about. Like, I don't think we have, we do a great job of, I feel like the secular world does a lot of empowering women and talking about what that looks like. And I think we we get tripped up in that sometimes and don't know how to separate even that out from politics sometimes versus we want, we want girls to feel like there's so much, again, good and glory that God has bound up in the heart of being a woman. And I, I just don't think we speak to that directly because I think we get nervous of what that makes us look like or what it makes it sound like we're trying to say. Sometimes I think it just gets intertwined in a way that it shouldn't because that's not what it's about. And we want, I mean, girls are going to have a lot of knocks along the way. And, and what research says is when something goes wrong in a boy's world, he blames other people. And when something goes wrong in a girl's world, she blames herself. And so I think as much as we can do to convince girls that they're strong, again, I think, I think it needs to come from every, every environment the girls are in, but really, especially the church, because we have a really unique way to speak to God's design for both. 
in the book, you write about our ability to remap our brains. And you wrote that uh, the, con uh, the, the, con the cortex uh, learns by education, by logic, by argument and experience. What does that practically look like? Um, what, you know, what tools can you give folks as they think about, um, you know, whether it be their children or actual teenagers, maybe even listening to this conversation, you know, what does that look like to help remap your brain to uh, face down anxiety? Yeah. So our, our brains create well-worn pathways, just like, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you know which leg you put in your pants first today. You know, do you know? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't have any idea. I can't even come up with which one. And, and that's a well-worn pathway in our brain. And so basically, the more we do something, the more it strengthens these neural connections. And so when I'm anxious and when I stop doing whatever it is that makes me anxious, the neural pathway that says you can't do it, you're not able to, it's too hard, that just gets strengthened. Whereas if I put myself in the position where I'm doing brave things, that neural pathway gets strengthened. We Basically, we become better at anything that we practice even things that make us anxious. And so we, I would say, if you have kids who are struggling in this way, I mean, I tell kids all the time, I, I sat with a group of adolescents last night and I was like, tell me one brave thing you've done this week and tell me one brave thing you wanna do. I mean, just even questions like that, helping them practice bravery, I think is really important. And if your child is afraid of something, helping them work towards it gradually in steps. And often for parents, rewarding those steps along the way can reinforce it too. So even, you know, I have a girl that I'm working with who's afraid to sleep in her own bed. She is eight years old. And so for three nights, she slept on the floor in her parents' bedroom. And then she slept in the dining room on an air mattress. And then she slept one floor up. You know, she just gradually worked her way into her room. And they got to go to the Opryland and water slide theme park sound waves as a reward at the end of it. And, and we do need to sometimes build in incentives because kids are afraid to do the scary thing and they don't get the buy-in. But I think anything we can do to practice steps along the way toward brave really does change the chemistry of our brains. So as I indicated before, I've got two young uh, children, six and nine. Yeah. Um, what are the tools that I can equip them with now before they face those troubling waters of the teen years? I would say the biggest is just to speak to them about the truth of who they are. Remind them every day, if you can, something that you believe in about them, something that you like about them. And I think moms and dads, but I think you have such a unique voice in their lives to communicate that to them, that, that translates into confidence. And even if they roll their eyes and say, you just have to say that because you're my dad or you're my mom, continue to speak it into their lives because it does shore up so much of their identity and their confidence. And I think confidence helps fight anxiety too. And so that would be the biggest, just speak the truth of who they are. So knowing that, you know, we have many clergy or church leaders listening to this conversation, you know, what role does the church play in all this? I mean, you know, we do follow that guy that said, you don't need to worry about your life, uh, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. And of course, yeah. he didn't follow that up with practical tools to live into those words. So right. what positive and proactive role can the church play in equipping people to face uh, many of the things that, that you help counsel people on each day? 
Well, I would say we can keep prioritizing mental health and we can know that we can't, you know, pray some things away and that scripture is so useful and life-changing and, you know, hopefully we can help them find their way to mental health practitioners who can incorporate faith and incorporate scripture, because I think that's so important. And there is a point where, you know, from, if we go back to a brain chemistry standpoint, there's a point where medications needed sometimes that it becomes significant enough. And I do think sometimes believers won't accept the help that they need because they don't believe that it's scriptural or Jesus didn't speak directly to that. And and it really comes down to just sometimes, just like you need other type, you need an antibiotic to get over an infection. There are times that we need counseling because it's significant enough that we need somebody else with eyes on it who knows more than we do that can help that we trust, obviously, from a spiritual standpoint. And sometimes we need even more and we might need medication. But but I think there is more stigma than I wish there was sometimes within the church. And so the more we prioritize mental health, I think the better we'll be caring for all the families in our ministries. What's your hope for the book? Now, I keep talking about, I think my hope really is that it could start to change the statistics. And and I joked in the beginning of all the books on anxiety was, my joke was that those books would work folks like me out of a job. But I think that's it. I wanted to put practical information into the hands of kids who are struggling in a way that it really can be a game changer for them. So as it launches, that's definitely my hope and my prayer both. Well, you seem to be churning out books uh, rather quickly. You got anything else that we need to be aware of? I, I hope I'm going to take a little bit of a break, but then yes, I've got some ideas already that I'm thinking about, but yes, I might take a little time off between now and then. Just a little time. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, if you want to stay connected with Sissy, visit raisingboysandgirls.com. Go out and purchase Brave wherever books are sold. Sissy, thank you for your good and often unseen work in helping individuals name what they're experiencing and feeling as a way to bring wholeness and beauty into their life one person mm -hmm. at a time. Wow. Thank you so much. That means so much to hear. Love getting to talk to you. This podcast is presented to you by McAfee School of Theology at Mercer University, who exists to train ministers who inspire the church and the world to imagine, discover, and create God's future. Located in Atlanta, Georgia, the McAfee School of Theology offers doctoral and master's degree programs, including a fully online Master of Divinity degree, the only fully online MDiv offered by a national research university. You can visit their webpage, theology.mercer.edu, to learn more about their programs and scholarships. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF's podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platforms. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, the Center for Congregational Health, and McAfee School of Theology's Doctorate of Ministry program. Check out cbf.net for more information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. Oh, and I don't think we've mentioned this, that you should join the listener community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.